Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is uh, Misham Fearswolf the Sixth. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of When Black Roses Bloom for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition. This is a module by Lisa Smedman. Now, I will not be spoiling the content, so if you haven't run through this module, you can still watch this review. I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below and remind you that you can pick up this module and other Dragonlance modules. Of course, this is Ravenloft, but it's Lord Soth, so it's pretty much Dragonlance in my opinion, uh, by visiting the affiliate link in the description below as well. Now, if your perspective is different about this module, if you think of Lord Soth differently than I'm going to present him or the history of this module and Lord Soth's time in Ravenloft, which I am going to sort of talk about a little bit, let me know. If you're live, how you doing? Thanks for chilling live. Uh, put your thoughts in chat. And if you're watching this after the fact, that's okay too. Put your thoughts in the comments. It'll be fun. We'll have a little back and forth. Uh, DL Audiobooks, how you doing, man? <laughs> Not quite a book review, but it's definitely a review. Chris, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is the module that I will be running in September and October in just a couple months. Lord Soth loves you more than me. <laughs> you might be right, John. Though I'm not entirely sure Lord Soth loves anyone. He just uh, obsesses over Kitiara. Unless you're Kitiara, then he definitely loves you more. Alright, so <clears throat> this is the third second edition module in Ravenloft. It was after, or I'm sorry, the fourth. So it was after the Awakening, Hour of the Knife, and Howl in the Hills. And then after those came when Black Roses Bloom. So this is all about Lord Soth of Scythicus. And there's even a bit of a, a crawl through his keep in the middle of this adventure. Let me give you the, the synopsis as provided, because that provides much needed context. The nightbound realm of Scythicus is dying. The gray forested crags scarred by jagged rifts echo with the laments of the dying elven nation. But the lord of the land sits uncaring in his blackened throne on the charred castle of Nadragard Keep, lost in ancient memories. Through his passion and hatred, the nightmare-haunted Death Knight, Lord Soth, permitted catastrophe to befall his uh, native world of Kryn. Now trapped in the realm of terror, Soth has once more brought calamity to his home, Abandoning rule of his twisted realm of Scythicus, Lord Soth has retreated to a still more distorted domain, the mad fantasies of his own history. To save the land and themselves, the heroes must venture into Banshee-haunted Nadragard Keep, and there into the warped mindscapes of a tormented Dark Lord. The history of the greatest villain of Dragonlance Saga is at last revealed in the realm of terror. So, if you're a fan of Dragonlance, if you're a fan of Death Knights, and if you're a fan of Lord Soth, this is definitely an adventure to check out on your own. Now, I know that we're in a world where as soon as a new edition comes out, people jump shark to the new edition because it's a big, new, shiny thing. And then they take all of the modules that were built for a specific edition and then remake them and then try to sell them to you under this new edition, getting a little Skrilla for themselves and then uh, just sort of selling you a facsimile of a great module. I'm not entirely sure this is a great module. This is a good module. It's not great. And I'm going to say that because I don't want to spoil anything. But the ending of this... Um, I'm just going to say it's not good. It's not good at all. In fact, the ending of this module is terrible. And makes 
no sense at all. So let me tell you a little bit about why I think that through the process of walking through Lord Soth's experience in Ravenloft. So um, this is a largely event-driven module, meaning the character, anytime a character show up in Ravenloft, it's random chance. It's the dark powers dragging them in, or they just have always lived there. Those are the two options for this insane demiplane of dread. Uh, and Scythicus is very different than the other uh, domains, primarily because it's a little bit of high fantasy, whereas Ravenloft is a little bit more romantic horror. And so the sensibilities of the high fantasy Dragonlance realm, which this is drawing heavily from, and the romantic gothic horror of Dracula and Wolfman and, you know, those universal horror characters that really inspired what this was ultimately going to be made uh, as through Tracy and Laura Hickman originally. It's just a completely different sensibility. So as I was reading through this module, the whole time I'm thinking, at any game table I've ever been at, a Ravenloft campaign is not the laughing, joking, goofy, sort of making tons of references about films and situations that every Dragonlance game I've ever played has had. Ravenloft has always been a little darker, a little slower, a little more character-driven, a little more terrifying by design. So you start throwing in those high fantasy elements like elves that are slightly different than the elves we know, Kender, which are dramatically different than the Kender we know, and Lord Soth, which is very different than the Lord Soth that we are familiar with in Dragonlance, you can find that it's easy to sort of disconnect with the concept of what Ravenloft is as a setting versus a twisted version, a sort of Alice in Wonderland's version of Dragonlance. And I think that's the best way of describing this module. This is an Alice in Wonderland version of Dragonlance's Lord Soth. Everything is slightly off kilter, but familiar. Uh, John, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Chris, thank you for joining live. How you doing? Rhode Island, sweet. I've got friends out there. I've always been meaning to visit. Never have, never have yet. Uh, Lord Soth does love elf women. <laughs> love may not be the right word for it. Yeah, well, you know, Kitty R isn't number one for him, but the other ones. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the other editions either, John, especially fifth. And I love the apologist's view that you, you know, you can do whatever you want with Dragonlance. It doesn't have to be restricted to anything. You can just throw in everything in there. And then the logical follow-up is, well, then what makes it Dragonlance? How is that different than Forgotten Realms, O-Earth, anywhere? Any other fantasy made up anything. The, the reason Dragonlance is special is because of its restrictions, not because of its inclusive nature. Not even the denizens of Dragonlance are inclusive. <laughs> They're bigoted and racist. So I just the whole concept of throwing everything in the kitchen sink in Dragonlance and having it still technically be Dragonlance is short-sighted and ridiculous. Uh, you're questioning playing this after Shadow of the Dragon Queen. This is very, very, very different <laughs> than Shadow of the Dragon Queen. So this is set in Ravenloft, which is a demiplane of dread, of course. But it's this is a Lord Soth. First of all, the Lord Soth in Shadow of the Dragon Queen isn't quite the Lord Soth that has existed in every other version. Um, 
There's only been two modules about Lord Soth that have ever been made. The first one was a module in World of Kryn, which I think was like DL16 for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. And then there's this, where Black Roses Bloom, which is Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. The only thing that's ever been done for Lord Soth in 5th Edition is the Shadow of the Dragon Queen, where Lord Soth plays a very pulled back, chained up, confined role, which isn't too dissimilar from this, to be honest. And then the, the module that was just released by Dragonlance Nexus, that um, is uh, Dragonlance Shadow of the Black Rose, which is supposed to be the continuation of Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen. For me, I'm not interested. I, I don't like 5th edition that much, and I just, it doesn't feel like Dragonlance at all. You have to force the sensation of Dragonlance down people's throats in 5th edition for it to even feel remotely like Dragonlance. All right, so back to this. The ending was actually altered in this module. The original ending written by, um, what was her name again? Karen, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lisa Smedman. So the original ending involved the goddess Tachesis appearing in Ravenloft, and she would have given the players the chance to escape Ravenloft, but the twist of it at the end was that they didn't actually escape Ravenloft to Kryn, they escaped Ravenloft to the Abyss. In this, the, um, the uh, Harold Johnson, the project coordinator, didn't actually like that ending at all because they had other plans for Lord Soth, and they didn't want Tachesis being able to get out of Dragonlance, because we have to remember, the gods of Dragonlance were supposed to be not universal. They were supposed to be locked into Dragonlance. So you could have a Tiamat doing things in all other worlds, it didn't affect Tachesis, and Tachesis didn't affect Tiamat in all the other worlds. So the, the gods of Kryn were supposed to be isolated and alone in AD&D and AD&D2e. So it, by writing Tachesis into the Domain of Dread, sort of broke that theme and he didn't really like it, and so he actually brought in author Steve Miller to rewrite the ending, which is the ending that we got, which feels like a script rewrite. So if you've ever watched a movie, and there's like a solid pacing and a solid vibe going, and then suddenly there's like a left turn, and you're just like, this is like a whole different movie. Those are script rewrites that happen all the time, and arguably every DC film made... <laughs> in the last decade has had that issue. Uh, you know, Justice League, Joss Whedon's Justice League is a perfect example of that. So it just feels like a totally different movie than it was intended to be because rewrites, that's what happens. So this module definitely gets that tone across where you're just like, what, you record scratch? Like, what? Why, did, how, that's the end? Like, what? how is anyone supposed to know that that's the ending? And then they give you a bunch of, like, excuses as the Dungeon Master saying, well, if the characters don't pick up on it, because clearly it's not clear, uh, have these other things happen to sort of give them the suggestion. Very ham-fisted. <laughs> it's just not good at all. It's just ridiculous. Okay, so, um... When Black Roses blooms, it actually provides extensive details on Lord Soth's home, the Ravenloft Domain of Scythicus, more than any of the other uh, Ravenloft-specific manuals have thus far. And it does a really great job of fleshing out the types of elves that live in the world of Scythicus, in the, in the domain of Scythicus. It's sort of, sort of a twisted Gothic version. But there's like two levels that you have to deal with. So as is 
you know, as the sort of preface that's on the back of the cover of this module, which tells you straight up, this domain is being destroyed. The people are being affected. The version that you're getting of this Sithicus is not the standard version that you could then go in and explore and have fun with. This is the dying version of Sithicus. So if we're thinking about timelines, there is um, Night of the Black Rose, the novel by James Lauder. Then there was, um, oh, what was the name of it? Uh, the Rigor of the Game, which was the short story that James Lauder wrote for the Tales of Ravenloft anthology. And then there's this. So it's not the Spectre of the Black Rose ending. That was a completely different novel that happened after this. So if you ever want to like just visit Sithicus and see what it's like without this sort of cataclysmic event occurring, read that novel and then play in the Ravenloft world domain of Sithicus because that's one thing. This, again, prevents a sort of a cataclysmic change to Sithicus that the characters have to figure out a way of not only escaping Ravenloft, but in order to do that, stopping the destruction of this domain. So they have to save the domain and the residents in order to get out. It involves them to do a little bit of dungeon crawling, a little bit of overland crawling, a lot of role playing with a bunch of different factions of types of characters. And all of that is great. It's just the very ending is very sort of rough to deal with. And I would love to read the original version that was published of this, or that wasn't published, but that was presented of this, because it's probably much more logical and actually much better. There's nothing better in a horror story, in my humble opinion, than feeling like you're out and safe and then realizing that you're not. So a, a wonderful example of this would be the ending of, um, um, oh, geez, it just slipped through my mind. Uh, um, this is going to drive me insane. Sam Neill, uh, In the Mouth of Madness by John Carpenter. Amazing. It's the best Cthulhu film that's not actually Cthulhu. <laughs> like, it's not Lovecraftian mythos at all. It's all just John Carpenter borrowing themes from that. Wonderful film. The ending, you think you're all free, and then all of a sudden you realize, no, no, you're not out of this. You're still insane and mad. And those are the best horror stories. That's why the original ending would have been great. The heroes are like, yes, we stopped the world from ending. We found our way out. I don't know why Tachesis is letting us do this, but we're out. Yay! And then all of a sudden they realize they're like looking around. And it's like just this domain of red, endless, barren landscapes. And you're just like, uh, you know, I'm just terrified of it. Especially if you're just doing, oh, Descent is great. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, especially if you're just doing this as like a, a one-off for a group like I am. You know, we're not going to be continuing these characters. I mean, maybe we will, but we're not planning on continuing these characters any other way. This is just build the characters for this module and let's go through it and have some fun. So why not have it end dramatically bad without the players knowing ahead of time? That would be great. All right. So let me see where I left off here. Um, part of what's great about this is that you get to see the world through a tortured Lord Soth's perspective. So he is not focused on Sithicus, his domain anymore. He's been sort of trapped there for a very long time. And he's been just sort of abandoning it, losing himself in his own 
fictional memories, his own fictional accounts of the real memories, of the real events that happened to him historically that we all know because we love Dragonlance and Kryn, but the players may not necessarily know and Lord Soth isn't willing to admit. So this is a, a Lord Soth that is lying to himself by and large and refusing to face reality. And it's the playing character's job to sort of shatter that perception in order to progress the storyline, which one, makes it incredibly dangerous for the playing characters, but two, also provides really interesting challenges in very interesting sort of um, set piece style encounters. And so it's not just this sort of open world land crawl. It's, I mean, you, you can certainly play it that way if you want. But it is very much, you know, you have A and B and C and D to do before you can finally do E and finish. The length of time it takes the players to get to that knowledge depends on the players and how the DM runs it. But that's what I love about this is that it is fleshed out enough that you can do some just natural crawling in the adventure and then ultimately end up in the same place as if you just railroaded them to that end point and ended it quicker. I, I'm much more of the line of saying, look, these are the story beats that I want to hit. If the players don't hit them right away, then I'll stutter step them until a later moment when it naturally feels like I can hit those beats again. And we'll just sort of go with what the characters want to do, and then we'll hit those beats when it's appropriate. So you have to, as a DM, be on your toes with any module, but certainly ones like this. Um, and so one of the really interesting aspects of this is that you get to go into Nadragard Keep, which is a twisted version of Dergard Keep from Kryn, which is Lord Soth's home. The maps that were taken from this were taken directly from DL16 World of Kryn, where they were the first maps to ever give you any information or insight on, <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, Dergard Keep, but then they have to change it a little bit because, of course, it's Nadragard Keep, which means not Dergard Keep in Salamnic. Um, so they changed it up just a little bit, but it's enough to give you a vibe. One thing that I found that uh, very, very frustrating and annoying, which doesn't seem to make any logical sense to me, but the image in the module that they show that represents Nadragard Keep is actually the High Clarist's Tower. In the module DL8 Dragons of War. So you know that's not the right keep. If you're not going to draw the keep, then reference the image of the keep that you took the floor plan from, from the damn World of Kryn module. Like, it's that simple. Just take the damn image that exists. Why are you superimposing the High Clarist's Tower? Not only does it not match per layout, but visually, it doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't look like a rose. Like, it has zero connection whatsoever. And it's infinitely bigger than Dragard Keep or Nadragard Keep. It, little things like that really bother me. Especially because the image exists and they chose not to use it. For some insane reason. So for that, I give minuses. You got negatives on the image used for the um, Nadragard Keep. And you got negatives for the ending. Which is a big pile of dog poo. Um, if I'm just being gentle about it. Um, let's see. The original Lord Soth adventure that was in World of Kryn killed Lord Soth. Like, the players went in to Dergard Keep and murdered Lord Soth. 
And so, you know, it's of course non-canon at this point, but at the time that it came out, it was like the last advent Dragonlance adventure book of modules and anthology of, of mini adventures that Dragonlance released for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Great collection. Um, and they didn't really plan on doing anything else. So then when the original writer for Night of the Black Rose came out, the original novel that put Lord Soth into Ravenloft, Tracy Hickman was offered a shot at writing that, but he declined it because he and TSR were on the outs at the time. Other authors' proposals were written and presented to James Lauder, who was um, the fiction line editor at the time, and he just outright refused them all because he wanted to be able to hand Soth back, and all of those accounts changed Lord Soth in some fundamental way so that it'd be difficult to bring him back to Dragonlance. So Jim Lauder's uh, original concept was always to bring Lord Soth back. And so he decided he's just going to write Night of the Black Rose himself, which I thought he did a wonderful job in. And then he wrote all of the information about, um, you know, the sort of uh, conceptual land of Sithicus. Then he wrote the rigor of the game, the short story, and he actually had plans to write a third novel and another short story uh, before Spectre of the Black Rose was published, which was after this module, which... Um, it, it, Spectre of the Black Rose confirmed that Kitiara was never in Ravenloft, and it was other things that were tormenting Lord Soth, and it was the start of um, one of the cataclysmic events that happened in Sithicus, just in a different way, and ultimately it meant that Lord Soth could leave Ravenloft. So that third novel uh, was going to also bring him back before Spectre of the Black Rose was put out, um, and ultimately it's because Dragons of Summer Flame, Lord Soth was referenced in there. And so they wanted to make sure that in continuity, it made sense for him to be referenced. And then he was later referenced and killed off in War of Souls. And so they had to make sure that Lord Soth was back for Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss to come back and write about him in Dragons of Summer Flame and War of Souls. And that completely altered the history of uh, the trajectory of Lord Soth in Ravenloft from that point on. So, um, yeah, the, the other pieces of fiction, the short story was going to be called All the Colors of Sorrow. And the novel wasn't actually named or titled or anything like that at the time. But the Ravenloft fiction line ended in 1999. James Louder tried to sell that third novel to White Wolf Publishing, who actually took up, took up the rights of Ravenloft to publish it in third edition Dungeons & Dragons, but they didn't want anything to do with it. So that was sort of the end of that. And then, of course, we have that new module that Dragonlance Nexus just released, Shadow of the Black Rose, where James Louder gives, I guess, a forward. I haven't picked it up because I won't play it because it's fifth edition and I don't want to waste my money. But if Dragonlance Nexus is doing it, then you know it's going to be a quality product because they're, they're great. I like those people. Um, so the adventure is, is, is interesting because you are thrown into Ravenloft and what they do, they do a really good job of giving you possible entry points, not location entry points, but plot entry points for the different characters. Like if they're coming from the domain of dread already from one of the other domains, then these are some possible setups. If they're coming from without of Ravenloft, here are some possible setups. I always appreciate that stuff because what I end up doing and what I ultimately did for the game that I'm going to be running is take conceptually some of the ideas of it and 
change it so it's logical for the character themselves. And I always want to make sure that it's something surprising for the character so they do feel like they're being stolen away and they're not just walking into Ravenloft for an adventure module, you know? I want it to feel organic and a little bit of scary. So Jack, thanks for tuning in live. How would I end it? Okay, good question. Um, I would have them forced to... The problem with this is if, if I... I'm trying to figure out a way of saying it without spoiling any of the information for people. So there's a MacGuffin in this module that both the players and Lord Soth ultimately are going to be trying to get. The MacGuffin, I would have the players forced to fight Lord Soth for it through a series of uh, sort of gauntlet-like encounters. There's no possible way this party can defeat Lord Soth unless these players are just packed to the gills with magic items and defenses and superpowers, right? Lord Soth, as a Death Knight, is just way too powerful, and everything that he can do with his own domain is too much for one party to handle at the levels of four to six for up to six players. Too much. So I would have survival gauntlets set up. If they can prevent him from defeating them or obtaining the MacGuffin in, let's just spitball three out of five of the gauntlet encounters, you know, maybe there's multiple aspects of the MacGuffin that they have to retrieve or protect or prevent him from getting. If, he, if they can do that in like three out of the five, then maybe they can discern a sort of portal in space-time. The great thing about Ravenloft is that it, it doesn't care. All it cares is about power. If you start upsetting the balance of that power, because all these domains are supposed to be torture chambers for the domain lord. So if you start upsetting that balance, then Ravenloft isn't going to want you there anymore. And so if you can upset and sort of disturb the, the, the foundation of Sithicus encouraging Lord Soth in some way or, you know, just some, somehow like upset it. I haven't, I'm doing this on the seat of my pants here. Then Ravenloft could then give you a reason to get the players out. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're, you're helping him too much or you're going to let him get out or, you know, we need to keep him here. So you guys are the problem. You need a GTFO. So that's kind of what I would do. Some sort of like gauntlet encounter situation where they are literally just trying to run for their lives to get out of a situation and Lord Soth is just like right there, like right on their tail. And there might be a moment where you have to sacrifice some heroes for it. That's what great storytelling is. So, you know, you don't plan on the characters dying, but in the moment, if it's just like, look, we got to close this gate before he gets here. There's no way all of us can get through without it. You know, it, uh, maybe it's a timed gate or something. Uh, he's going to get here before it's through. I'll stay back and I'll try to I'll try to stop him. You guys go save yourselves. And then you have this really wonderful sacrificial moment of a player trying to stop Lord Soth. Or maybe it takes two or three of them so that the other two or three can get away. They're like holding him down or they're just throwing themselves at them or throwing everything they have on their persons at him to try to slow him down just long enough for that gate to close and then they can get out and be free. Like stuff like that where you really do feel the tension and there's a little bit of adrenaline running at the table, just hoping for those decent rolls, because if you get that bad roll, everything is going to go to shit. Like, those are the great type of Ravenloft moments that I just love. And I think you could do it with the ending of this module, 
differently than what was presented, especially with the way they actually leave the domain. That was just... <sighs> I, at this point, I don't know if I'm going to do it that way because that's... It's so goofy. But maybe I will just to show everyone what it's like. I don't know. Anyway, there's some really great characters presented in this module that I think are just just wonderful. First of all, you got Magda, which if you've read any of the Ravenloft, uh, uh, Lord Soth-specific novels, she was this um, uh, Vistani who her entire clan was wiped out by Lord Soth. And then she was just sort of like, chained not not physically but like narratively chained to him and forced to follow him along until specter the black rose happens and so you get a pardon me you get to meet her and ha experience her animosity towards lord soth but also her new tribe that she's sort of new vistani little um they're not really tribes or clans but you know like groups or families or whatever um that uh she sort of reformed together which would be really really cool um, you get to see Azrael, which is his Seneschal, you know, sort of taking Caradoc's place as the Seneschal. But Azrael's a totally different character with completely different motivations. And he's genuinely terrified of Lord Soth, but he knows he is a person of power that he can ride the coattails of and have some sort of semblance of power by riding those coattails. And so he sticks around and he's like a really, really tough character. And what, another thing about this module that I really, really appreciated, and then you meet some really great elves and Kender characters as well. I don't want to spoil anything, but, and then of course, you know, like anything with Lord Soth, you've got Death Knight, uh, I'm sorry, Skeletal Warriors, you've got Banshees, I mean, all sorts of really great undead, scary stuff. Um, let's put a pin in Kitiara for a second. So we'll come back to Kitiara. One thing that I really like about this module as well is that they provide various options if the players kill off this character then deal with some of these other encounters upcoming like this or that or that or if you get to the end you're like if this character ended up being killed by the playing characters then use this situation instead so they give you a bunch of if ands and ors which when you're running any module is really important because you you have to be able to get from a to b ultimately that's the point of a module or else you're just sort of open world playing the prime material world. You know, you're just sort of playing the game and, and having fun, which is nothing wrong with it, but it's not the module. So knowing you have to get to A to, from A to B, you know, either you railroad them, you do what I do is you try to like set it up and, you know, sort of drop the story beats until it's relevant and then drop them back in. Or you just have a bunch of if and or situations set up. And that's what I really, really appreciated. Not all modules do that. At least not, I haven't run a whole bunch of modules, so I'm, I may be talking out of school here. But the modules that I've explored have not usually done that. They might give you a, an option, like if the players don't go here, then have them go here. Or if the players kill off this character, we'll just bring them back. Don't let them see the corpse because we need to bring that character back later on. Very Dragonlance that. In Ravenloft, in this module, it was like, look, Players are going to be players. If they end up killing these people, try this out instead. And I love that. It's great. Because it deals with real characters, not... I'm, I'm sorry, real players playing their characters, not this sort of idea of a, 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 I don't know, a video game or a comic book hero, you know? 
So you love Ravenloft and Dragonlance. You DM'd a Ravenloft campaign for four years in second edition. I, I DM those two. And currently doing Curse of Strahd for fifth. You gotta let me know how, how, how that is. I've heard bad things about it, but people get sour grapes and they talk smack all the time, so you never really know. Um, all right, so I wanna talk about Kitiara because there's a number of things that that character being entangled so deeply with Lord Soth has always bothered me. First of all, I get that Lord Soth would be impressed by Kitiara. I don't think any, anyone, whether you like her as a character or not, you have to be impressed by her. She is a wonderfully empowered character, even though she's evil. It's all self-interested evil. And even if you're not like that, you should be able to appreciate that in a character that's supposed to be a foil for the good guys. So I get that he's connected with her. And I get at the end of Legends that he grew that attraction at the end of Spring Dawning and he started connecting more and more with her and becoming a little more possessive over her. So much so that he's like, look, during your lifetime, you want to get down with Dalamar or, or maybe you still have his fling for Tannis. I'm going to look down on you, but do your thing. Because after death, you're mine. <laughs> right? So he's got that thought process going on. But as soon as you no longer have that, he's lived for over 300 years. 300, like 55 years by that time. Wouldn't he have gotten over her after, say, I don't know, two years? Like, he, he has such a long lifespan. Go, there's other women out there that you can haunt. You know, there's other things that you could be chasing. It's weird that you would latch onto that one thing. You have her corpse. You realize you can't get her soul. You're thrown into Ravenloft as Caradoc goes into Baytor, tries to get her soul and comes back with it. And then all that's thrown in. You have a whole book about teasing. Oh, this, there's this crooked, smiled, black-haired woman in the hills. And so he's off trying to find her. In the novels, it ends up not being Kitiara. And I like that because then you're actually opening up story potential. If you're just locked into that one tiny little aspect of the character, he's obsessed with Kitiara, there's not a lot of room to move around for the character, for the bad guy, the main bad guy. You really want bad guys to, yes, be one-dimensional in their obsessiveness, but you also want them to be malleable in their action. Because then you can't guess what they're going to do next. With Lord Soth, I feel like you could just walk around with a photo of Kitiara. And it would be like, uh, oh no, you're going to kill me. Flash the photo. And he's like, oh. And then you can get away. <laughs> That's the Lord Soth that they present in this. It's totally illogical to me. Especially when he's already spent an entire novel chasing after and realizing she's not here. In this module, after that novel, she is here. Now, of course, it can be seen as she's only here through his memories and it's not actually her, but there's some spoilery stuff that happens and I don't want to talk about it. So it, it bothers me that they rely so heavily on Kitiara in this module when he's already gone through that. Let's grow a little bit. He could just be reminiscing about wanting to be a better knight of Salamnia because he's always admitted 
that it was a failure of his actions that led him to where he was. And his ultimate death through Tracy Hickman's uh, writing in uh, War of Souls was that he's like, look, I'm not going to serve evil. I'm not going to serve you, Tachesis. I don't care. I was a knight of Salamnia. I was a good person, and I made some choices that led me here, and I'm done being that dude. And then he's struck down and dead and given an afterlife. So, I mean, that's a wild oversimplification, but ostensibly that's what happens. So if that's the Lord Soth that Dragonlance knows, why not use that Lord Soth? Have him move past. Maybe it's presented as an obsessiveness over Kitiara, but as soon as the characters get into Nadragard Keep and start diving into those memories, maybe it's like a therapy session. They start unpacking the reality of those memories and being like, it's not Kitiara he's obsessed with. It's his original wife, or it's his elven wife. Or it's his children that he never really knew. Or it's his legacy as a knight of Salamnia that he always wanted, but he couldn't live up to, that he's really sorry about. Those are much more interesting story beats than just, there's a girl I want to have sex with when she's dead. <laughs> like, come on, really? How hollow can you be? Stuff like that bugs me. Uh, it's good that you changed a few things and uses a lot from uh, Lunch Break Heroes. I'm not familiar with that. That's cool, though. I, I like the idea of modifying modules to make them more engaging and entertaining for you and your players. I think that's great. Uh, Joe, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you got your own ideas about this module. You lure... Yeah, I remember you saying <laughs> luring Raceland into here. See, I wouldn't... I would never bring the other characters into Ravenloft because in my mind, they don't fit the vibe that Ravenloft has. You know, that, that romantic gothic horror. You throw Tannis in there, and it's, for me, it's a totally different setting. It doesn't feel Ravenloft at all. I'm sure there are ways that you can do it, and I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying, for me, it would take a lot to get over that idea. Um, I think, and I, I mentioned this to you in a comment, too, about Raceland. I think the Dark Domain, if they ever got a hold of Raceland, would never let him go. Never. And in fact, depending on what era Raceland they grab, they might actually pull Fist and Danless out of him, let Raceland go, and just keep Fisty right there in his own domain, which would be dope. That would be a great turn of events. And then you send Raceland back with no Fist and Danless, and he's got to, like, survive on his own merits. How does he master the Dragon Orb without Fist and Danless? How does he defeat Kyan Bloodbane without Fist and Danless? How does he kill Fist and Danilus without Fist and Danilus? You know what I mean? It just creates a whole different dynamic for Raceland the character. And I always, I always thought Raceland would be so much better if he did more on his own before he defeated Fist and Danilus in Istar. Because then we knew it was him. You know what I mean? Because really, Raceland's entire legacy is he was held up by a lich. And the only reason why he survived was because of a lich. There's no way the frail post-test of high sorcery Raceland could have stood up to Kyan Bloodbane. Kyan would have eaten him. There's no way he would have been able to master the Dragon Orb. It would have consumed his mind. So, you know, those moments to see Raceland step up, not have that fallback of Fisty, I think that'd be really cool. That'd be really great. Um... Yeah, Raceland and Ravenloft would be very scary. Yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> Raceland would end up the true ruler of Rimlot. <laughs> hey, Bob, thanks for tuning in, man. Uh, that'd be very cool. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure about the power differences. I'm going to take your word on that, of Raceland being a better magic user than Strahd. I have no idea. I just don't know enough about Strahd, to be honest. Okay, so um, I've given you my likes about this module. I've given you my dislikes. I've done my best to explain the story beats without talking about the MacGuffin or the actual events. I've talked about the setting of Sithicus, the end of the the domain, uh, the denizens, I'm sorry, of Sithicus, and I've talked about Nidragard Keep. I think that pretty much covers everything. So I'll give you a little sneak peek into the types of characters that I'm going to be pulling through this adventure starting the first weekend of September. I've got a Minotaur Mariner, which is a sailor. I've got a Bakali Warrior, which is the lizard men that lived up in Talidas. I've got a barbarian cleric and oh my gosh i can't remember all the characters i got going through this a gnome thief <laughs> i think there's one more and i feel bad that i don't remember what it is but anyway it's a huge eclectic group of races and classes oh i have a druid i have a human druid coming through it as well so wildly eclectic group that, oh yeah, and the other one, I have a human con artist that's kind of like a thief, but more flamboyant and a little more circus-like, you know what I mean? Like the rope traveling circus type. So it's going to be a super weird, motley crew of an adventuring group who don't know each other. They're all from Dragonlance and they just are going to find themselves in this module, having to be faced with the reality of this like we either die or we try to get out of here and if we have to try to get out of here these are the things that we got to do we have to work together number one and two try to fix the problem that's happening right now it's going to be great it's going to be a lot of fun and i hope you guys can tune in if you like watching it's going to be so ridiculous um <laughs> the druid one i was a little bit iffy on because in second edition there are no druids in crin they're, they're heretic priests, and they don't have any spells. But because the druid's moving to Ravenloft, and the player just wanted to play a druid, I was like, it doesn't matter. You know, let's just do it. Let's have some fun with it, you know? Because druid does show up in third edition and on in Dragonlance. It was just in second, Dragonlance was not as open as it is even in third edition. So it wasn't as confined as first edition. First edition is very, very confined for Dragonlance. But, you know, second edition opened up goblins, ogres, Irida ogres you could play in Talidas. Um, you have uh, the myriad of elves in first edition. You, can, you could only play a quantity elf. Um, you have all the different types of gnomes. You have the gnomoi. And if you choose the tinker gnome class, the Tinkerer class, the Nomoi are actually successful in their inventions because they come from Talidas. And so they don't have all of the mishaps and errors that the gnomes from Ancelon have. So you could play like an effective gnome, which would be really cool. All sorts of stuff. Really cool stuff. So, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> Joe, I don't like Kender using magic. I think in my my perception of Dragonlance, they've gone to great lengths to prevent. That's why the Orders of High Sorcerer is so important. They go to great lengths to prevent certain races having access to magic. 
because their sensibilities simply are not capable. I can't imagine how you could have a kender who is focused enough to learn the pronunciation variations and moving your hands in certain somatic movements and like being able to keep track of the different components that they have to use for the different spells. They'd end up with like rando stuff, you know, pulling out of their pouches rather than the actual needed components. That's just what the race is. And so I just, I can't, I can't imagine a Kender ever being a magic user. Bothers me. Um, Gully doors are dope. I think they're great. I don't think you could play them in first edition. I think in second edition, you definitely can. It was in the Tales of Lands box set, if I remember right. And so definitely play with Gully Dwarves, but don't have them be a magic user. They can't even count past three or two or whatever it was. So as long as you play the, the, the character, and it's sort of like this too. There's a uh, uh, Star Wars novel that has a computer hacker that's an Ewok. The stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. A primitive creature, how could they possibly comprehend ones and zeros and firewalls, etc.? I just can't imagine it. But if you do a good story, then it doesn't matter anymore. Suddenly you got a great backstory. You have a good reason for it to exist. All right, let's do it. As long as the story is good. So by that logic, if you can come up with a good enough story for a Kender to be a magic user... Why not? As, it's, it's all about this story for me. You know, I, I like having my restrictions because that grounds it in the reality that is Dragonlance. But as long as there's a good story, then I'm okay with it. You know, you can argue that Raceland is a warlock, is in a fifth edition warlock, because he's pulling power from Fist and Danilus in some instances. So it's kind of, you know, it's however you want to play it, ultimately. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. All right, so that is my review of, of When Black Roses Bloom. If I could give it just on reading it, not running through it, but just reading the module, a, uh, like a rating, let's say out of five plates of Odic Spiced Potatoes, I would give it, I would give it three. The, the initial concept is good. The MacGuffin and the way that you get out of it is ridiculous. And the hyper-focus on Kitiara every day, all day with Lord Soth is just illogical to me. It doesn't make any sense. He lived for 300 years and 50, or 352 years before he even found out about her. Why would he be so obsessive now about it? Like, get over it, dude. I don't know. It bugs me. Tickle Muffs. Dope, but I don't want to talk about her yet because <laughs> it might be spoilery. All right, so again, there are characters and events that I'm not talking about that were really cool and exciting. But again, this is a non-spoiler review, so I don't want to be the one to spoil anything. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That is it for my review of When Black Roses Bloom, the AD&D 2nd Edition module by Lisa Smedman. What did you think of the advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition Ravenloft setting? Do you mind having Lord Soth in Ravenloft? And finally, would you play this module in 2nd Edition, or would you prefer a 5th edition version of it? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I'd like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to uh, get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. All that goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And of course, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga. Thanks for joining me in that celebration. Again, this is Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, Slanjava.